0: And if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, welcome. Uh, We're so pleased uh, that you've decided to join us here. And uh, do stay and have a cup of tea and a coffee uh, at the end of this service. Uh, But this morning we're in uh, part three of a series on uh, the value of integrity. And uh, it's a series that we've based out of Psalm uh, 24. And in verses three and four, uh, which, which aren't often used that much in comparison to some of the other verses in in Psalm 24. Uh, But in verses 3 and 4, we found uh, four virtues or characteristics uh, that I believe, when applied to our lives, really will add uh, value to our personal integrity, uh, but most importantly to us as uh, people of the kingdom of God and of uh, His kingdom. And so let's have a read of that uh, verse again this morning before we get uh, into the message. So it says, who may ascend uh, into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? And so here's where we come across uh, our four virtues or characteristics. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Let's pray this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your truth. We thank you, Father, again for your son, Jesus, who uh, is the ultimate example uh, of leading life and living life on this earth. And Lord, we just uh, invite you this morning uh, to have your way in our lives. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here right now And I pray that you will just take uh, these words, take this message uh, and multiply it, uh, overflow it for each and every individual life and every individual person in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So in part one, we looked at what it means uh, to live life as best we can with clean hands. And we used uh, examples based around Uh, how it relates to our actions uh, in in regards to key decisions that are going on in our life uh, and our behaviors. And then in part two, uh, Phil Jobbins last week shared with us some keys around having a pure heart, relating to integrity in uh, the relationship with ourselves, integrity with our relationship with others, and with our relationship with God. And as uh, has been pointed out in the first two virtues here, uh, of clean hands and a pure heart, you know, ultimately, ultimately it's only by the grace of God that we're ever made purely clean. It's only by the grace of God that we are washed clean. Uh, and so we, we talked in, in part one about how we, uh, you know, as we live to honor God, we do as best we can to honor Him with these characteristics and with this way uh, of living. And you know that's so important to remember because even in uh, our best efforts, our human nature, because it's so broken, still falls short. Right? Uh, even in even in our kind of best pursuits, we, we can we can tend to then become uh, a little bit about works, trying to become something that we can never be. Uh, but we do our best, knowing that we are covered by the grace. Uh, of the Lamb, so praise God that we're made righteous through Jesus, uh, our Lord and Savior. And uh, so, what I hope that you've uh, seen in the last couple of weeks, uh, especially, is not just how uh, those first two attributes of having clean hands and, and having a pure heart uh, can lead you to living the sort of life that honors God, uh, but also how uh, those attributes can lead to to uh, you know your favor and can lead to your growth and your own personal integrity out in the marketplace. You know I always think that that's cool when we're able to take what God is teaching as a biblical principle and go, man, that can help me in everyday life. That's what the Bible's about. Uh, that's what uh, God wants to do in transforming our lives. Amen. And so I believe that these four virtues, which uh, have been called the virtues of integrity by a number of authors, can really open up blessings from God. As it says in verse 5, blessings of God in your life. Uh, Who who can use a blessing from God this morning? Who can use a blessing from God most mornings of the week? (coughs) Amen. And so if you missed uh, the last two weeks, uh, jump onto the app uh, and have a listen to those. Uh, we're also working on getting those onto iPod, uh, onto iTunes, uh, and podcasts so uh, they're more easily accessible. So watch out for that. And today we're having a look at the passage uh, of the verse uh, which talks about he who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. Cool. That's how I felt when I thought, well, that's how I felt when I. Put myself, my name down for this one because it's a big topic. He who has not lifted himself up uh, to an idol. And we're going to begin um, by defining uh, what an idol is. And so, you know, in this verse uh, and in this psalm, which is said to be a song that David was scripting and writing, and that the people were singing as they were taking uh, the the ark uh, into Jerusalem. What 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 was David talking about in this specific passage when he said? he who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. And so we're going to begin to define uh, what an idol is and what David is referring to here and does it still mean the same thing today? Is it still relevant uh, for us today? And the first reference uh, that we see in the Bible to idolatry is found in Genesis 31 verse 19. And it says this, Now Laban... Uh, had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. So that's a nice way to introduce a big topic. Rachel had stolen the idols that had belonged to her father. That was our introduction to it. She's stealing uh, an object of the worship of other gods. That's what this idol was. And uh, one of the most uh, familiar stories of uh, idol worship, I guess, in Uh, The Old Testament is what we read of in uh, Exodus 32. So Moses is up on the hill. God's carving out in in two tablets of stone uh, some commandments for him. And uh, he's up there for quite a while. And and the Israelite people become impatient. uh, And they decide they can't wait anymore. And so they put a little bit of pressure on Aaron. And they said, Aaron, you have to build us a God that we can worship. And so Aaron tells them to bring all their gold, their gold rings, and they build a gold calf for them to worship. And uh, as, as Moses is coming back down from the hill, they can hear, uh, they can hear this kind of sound, and, and they're kind of going, well, it's not really the sound of mourning, uh, it's not really the sound of people crying out to God, and, and as they come further down the hill, they realize that uh, it's the sound of people celebrating and worshiping this gold calf that they had built. And so, uh, you know, Moses dealt with that calf uh, pretty quickly, but they'd become impatient and built uh, this calf uh, as an idol for them to worship. You know, the biblical word idol is defined as an image or worship or a divine honor that is paid to any created object. Now, that same definition of idol also gives us three uh, forms of idolatry. Uh, fet- fetish- fet- fetishism. Fetishism. It's so the worship of trees, uh, rivers, and hills. Uh, it gives us nature worship, the worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And it also outlines hero worship with the worship of the deceased or the worship uh, of ancestors and so in the Old Testament we, never, uh, we kind of hear reference to the word idol it's often referring to a practical or a tangible item uh, that people are worshipping that makes sense uh, items and objects that have been created by man uh, like the calf that Aaron had built fast forward to uh, the New Testament And the word idol uh, then becomes used to reference covetedness. So it's kind of moved from being more than just an object. Now idol worship is not just uh, worshipping unto an object, but it is now also looking at the area of desire. Worshipping a wrong desire. Desire for wealth, desire for possession, possession, Uh, desire of uh, self-empowerment that leads to vanity, that leads to to self-fulfillment, that leads to greed. Uh, And so in the New Testament, uh, we we see the word is kind of uh, now more broadly used uh, in the context of what is being worshipped. And the word idol is defined today uh, in our dictionaries, as an image or representation of God, of a God, used as an object of worship. So we heard that come through in the Old Testament, uh, meaning of the word idol. And then secondly, a person or thing that is greatly admired, loved, or revered. And so as an example in that, as an example in that definition, they use uh, sports people They use celebrities uh, who become idols to people uh, who who are just seeking to fill a gap, as we're going to see. And I want to suggest this morning, uh, you know, for the purposes of this message, that an idol is anything, any object, any person who takes your devotion, who takes your love, who takes your confidence, takes your trust. And takes your worship away from God. Anything that takes those things away from God, you know, we've been created for worship. God built that into us. You know, there's this gap within our heart and within our being that can only, uh, that is designed to be filled by the presence of God that is designed to be filled by the purpose of God, that is designed to be filled by the plans of God, so that as we live out our lives, we're living our lives out in step with God, who then brings the blessings uh, over our lives. And so we're created uh, with this hole that is designed to be filled by God. But how many people know that these holes are being filled today uh, by a lot of other idols and a lot of other things in the lives of people that they give their devotion to, that they give their energy to, that at times they even give their worship to, sometimes even with faith attached to it. And so my hope is that as we go through uh, our two points very quickly this morning, uh, that we'll be able to unpack some lessons for uh, our lives today, uh, for each of us today. And if you're taking notes uh, this morning, your first point is uh, this. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. Colossians 3, 1 to 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so as we go about our week, as we go about work tomorrow, you know, the instruction is simply that. Set your mind on the things above. But what... what is Paul talking about here? What can he be talking about? You know, I believe that Paul's talking about us setting our minds on the kingdom of heaven. Setting our minds on the kingdom of heaven. That as Christians, we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven first. That we honor God. And that we worship God Setting our minds on where God lives and where God rules. Setting our minds on eternity. What a great hope, eternity, uh, to be able to walk around with. Setting our minds on the reality of heaven. It's a real place. Have you ever wondered about that? People throw, uh, recently in the media, the word hell's been thrown around a lot. People talk about it and joke about it as if it's fictional. But these are real places. And heaven, I don't know what heaven's like, I've never been there. But I imagine that it's a glorious place and it's a real place. We fix our eyes on the reality that heaven's a real place that's designed by God. For you and me. To be with him. Setting our minds on heaven. So that no earthly thing. No earthly creation. No earthly person. Can ever become the focus of our hope. Our trust. Our devotion. Or our worship. Amen. And secondly this morning. We set God above all else. You know, it's one thing to set our minds uh, on the things above and to set our minds on God. I think it's something else to then set God, to then set what we know of God's kingdom, to then set uh, the reality of heaven to a place where it's outworked in our everyday lives. Now, we could be thinking about God and not living like we're in heaven or not living like we're kingdom people. Romans 1 verse 21 and 23 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. You know, Paul here is describing the origins of idolatry. That even in knowing God, and sometimes even in having seen witness to what god's done, they were still able to become dark in heart enough to worship an idol and to be idol worshippers. You know I used to train as a uh, as a personal trainer and I was a certified a certified personal trainer this would have been about uh, 19, 20 years ago. Uh, And at the time, uh, I used to work as a a bouncer at the old Kiwi Tavern. Now, I know you're all looking at me and you're going, oh, of course you worked as a bouncer (laughs) 20-odd years ago. Uh, Admittedly, at the time, I probably weighed 10 to 15 kgs more uh, than I do now. You know, it's all bustle. But I worked with a company who um, provided us with, with martial arts training. Uh, and that was compulsory. So as a staff, we would come together once a week, would debrief on the jobs that we had over the weekend, any conflicts that we'd come across, uh, any issues, any changes, and then uh, we'd have to go through um, an hour and a half of martial arts training with this group. And so uh, if you wanted to be working, you had to be at the meetings. And so once a week, we were kind of there and, and kind of working, and we're trained uh, to resolve conflict. We're trained for crowd control, because we often did concerts. Uh, we're trained to identify conflicts before they became conflicts to save us trouble uh, later on in the evening, In, in that uh, sort of thing. And I quite liked the martial arts side of it, uh, and decided that I was going to take some additional classes. So I signed up for two different martial arts. And I won't, I won't say which ones they were, but I signed up for two different martial arts. And one of them, I lasted one class. Uh, which was, wasn't, re- really, wasn't a very good track record. Uh, and the other one I lasted a year. And uh, here's, here's why uh, I only lasted uh, a little while in those classes. You know, at, at the start of both of those sessions, there was a ritual, uh, and, and it's it, it sometimes an oath, that we had to swear on before we started training. Um, you know, the class that I only lasted one class in, uh, we had to bow down to an altar uh, which had the picture of uh, the founder of the martial art on it and uh, we we were very much, uh, you know, giving him thanks, we were very much giving him praise Um, and I mean, we were bowing down so there was was a, though it wasn't spoken or said, there was a, a physical act of worshiping um, unto this altar. So um, take a guess why I only lasted one week uh, in that session. Uh, the other class was uh, a lot less obvious. Um, now I was uh, still a young uh, Christian at the time, but having been brought up Catholic, it was, if it was obvious then I kind of went, Ugh. oh, not been brought up Catholic, if it was obvious we were worshiping something else, I kind of... Um, but the second class was a little less obvious uh, to identify uh, then the other, and we just kind of stood and we, we took an oath, and, and the oath didn't really have anyone attached to it. It was just uh, an oath uh, to devote ourselves to the art, to devote ourselves to the learning, um, not to abuse what we'd learnt. Uh, it was an oath uh, not to intentionally hurt people, that what we were learning was um, for self-defence. And so all positive things uh, when you kind of look at it. And any person who's done uh, martial arts will will be able to tell you uh, that it really does build uh, your confidence. It really does build, uh, you know, like anything, I guess, a sense of identity in, in you. And, and I've worked with a number of people who uh, were on our worship teams who are still doing martial arts um, today. Um, but for me, when, when it got to the point... Uh, when my confidence got to a certain point, I left. And the reason was because I had, arri- I had arrived uh, at a point where I recognized that my confidence, my trust, uh, everything uh, that I kind of um, feared had been covered by this confidence I'd gained. Uh, you know, having worked in Having worked in bars as a bouncer, there are a lot of bigger island guys than I am. Um, And so, you know, there's always an element of fear. All of that uh, went away as my confidence grew. But what I realized was that uh, that and my trust had become so centered around me and so centered around... My life had become so centered around the confidence that I'd built in myself more than it did on God. And I've seen people do the same thing, not just with martial arts, but with their businesses. That their identity is so much about how they're doing within their workplaces, more than it is uh, with God. And you know, with a non-Christian, you can kind of understand why they do that, because if we're built with a gap that's meant to be filled by God, and they don't want to fill it with God, they'll find something else to fill it with until the church reaches them. Now Romans 1 verse 25 says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. Amen. You know, I do have to admit that I'm, um, I do get concerned when I come across uh, Christians who commit years of their lives to a pursuit of things that require them to compromise their devotion. That require them to compromise, um, you know, on what they're passionate about. Even concerned when they have to share that devotion with God. Share that devotion with an object, uh, like I was expected to do in those classes. And it would be foolish, I think, for anyone uh, this morning uh, to believe that we could never fall into idolatry. It'd be foolish for any one of us to ever think that we're exempt from ever getting to a place where we worship anything money, uh, success, more than we worship God. And so we set God above everything else. That God's word and God's way becomes our our guiding stick. Keeping him above anything earthly. And anything that might try to take root as an idol over our lives. You know, Matthew 6 verse 24, um, just as we come to close. It says, no man can serve two masters. And many of us have heard this verse used uh, in offering messages about money. No man can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's from the King James Version. The word mammon is translated as wealth regarded as evil, relates to greed and of false objects of worship and devotion. An idol is any object, any person maybe even an organization. One of my biggest lessons in ministry was that we could make idols of ministry. We've often told worship teams, don't forget to worship. Don't forget who you're worshiping. You're worshiping the God of the worship, not the ministry of worship. Any organization, person, or object that takes your devotion, your love, confidence, trust, and worship away from God. A master that you then serve. And an idol that can be anything from money, possessions, as I've said, ministry, it can be a person, it could be ourselves. they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. The thing that surprised me most, um, especially in those sessions where I was spending a year with this group, Is that nothing ever happened intentionally? I didn't go out intentionally to build confidence within myself. And I don't think any Christian does. And people who don't know God are filling the gap that's created to be filled with spiritual things, that are created to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But they're things that can seep up, that can seep into our lives in the absence of an ongoing two way relationship with God. And so I just praise God that if we are able to set our minds on the things above, if we're able to set our minds on heaven, if we're able to set God above all the things that are on earth reminding ourselves daily He is almighty. He is all-powerful. That though I might be oppressed, though I might be uh, treaded on, He is well able to do abundantly above anything that I could even hope or imagine that He'll do for me. Realizing that His ways are perfect, regardless of whatever the outcome may be. We're able to set our minds on heaven and set God above everything else in our lives, I believe that more than you and I will ever realize, our lives will become stronger in its foundation. A strong foundation that will not be shaken. A strong foundation that will stand for the kingdom of God And for his righteousness, no matter what, or no matter who, tries to bring us down. You can say praise God to that this morning. God is good. Amen.